Um, welcome. If you are new here for the first time, my name's Rich. I'm one of the leaders of the church. And this is obviously a very exciting kind of afternoon for us. I'm really delighted to see kind of lots of buddies from other churches and things to be here with us. Thanks very much for coming. Forgive me, though, if I take us right back to fundamentals today. I'm going to dial it right back from the start, and we're making some elders today. That's exciting. But I'm going to go right back to fundamentals and say, why do we need elders in the first place? The question that we're going to look at out of the Bible for a few minutes is, why have elders? Our culture um, does not value leadership very, very highly. Most people would say that leaders are not desperately popular. If you think of uh, maybe people like politicians, they don't go down so well. Uh, Those of you that are working, there's often this kind of clash between the workers who get the real work done and the management at the top who kind of, well, what do they do? They kind of cream it off. And the idea of having leaders... Uh, directing us and above us doesn't go down too well in our society. Our culture uh, is very egalitarian. We like the kind of idea of democracy. We like the idea of autonomy, that we make our own choices. Or at best, lots of us get together and we make a collective choice. We're not very keen on the idea of having people singled out. There's a pervasive belief in our culture as well that power or influence corrupts and that therefore it doesn't take very long for someone who's in a position of authority before it kind of gets to them and they succumb to the temptation to use their power for their own gain, their own benefits, and they're not afraid to squash down or crush the people who are standing in their way. They'll deny other people their rights or their legitimate needs so that they can kind of cream off the benefits of being in charge. For all of these reasons, the idea of having leaders in a church is not very popular. In fact, even Christians can kind of subconsciously pick these views up and start to be thinking in leaders in the church in this way. You can have it, everything on the spectrum from people who would be in churches and say, well, why can't we all have our say? Why can't I chip in what I think about this? Other people come from the view of, do you think you're better than me in some way? Are you saying you're like a special Christian? How come you get to make decisions? Or right at the other end, you get the Christian classic which is a favourite line, which is, you know, I don't think I need any human leaders because it's just me and Jesus. Just, just the Lord is my leader. I don't need anybody else to get in the way. And because of all of these reasons, I do want to spend some time thinking, why have elders in the first place? If you're a Christian, you may have either accepted that's just what we do without ever having thought about it, Or you may have thought, well, I know we have to have them, but maybe it's just a necessary evil. Or have we kind of taken it uh, from kind of a, a worldly power structure and imposed it on the church? If you're not a Christian, this may be very interesting for you as well, because I'm going to talk to you a little bit of kind of the inside story of what goes on in the church. And if you're someone who's looking in on Christianity and maybe starting to investigate a little bit, this will give you a peek as to how things are done in the church and why we do things. And also, it's going to drift towards near the end, pointing you to the most important thing that you need to know if you're investigating Christianity. So pretty much everyone here, this is going to be useful for. The only people that it might be a little uncomfortable for is the people who are elders of churches. Because you're sitting here suddenly thinking, oh no, this is all the stuff that I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, I better kind of tighten my act up a little bit. 
I'm going to be speaking out of a passage in the Bible that actually uh, is instructions for people who are already serving as elders. But I'm going to kind of read between the lines a little bit, hopefully in a way that you can see that does make sense of the passage, to look at this question of why do we have elders in the first place. I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Uh, If you've got a Bible, you're welcome to follow along with me. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, And if you do want a Bible during uh, the message or anything else this morning, there's a pile at the back and you're welcome to help yourself from those as well. I'll read from 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 4. It says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Before we do the why, we do need to do the what a little bit. And if we just stop for a moment on verse 1, this will help us to kind of work out the parameters of the thing that we're investigating. To the elders among you, this is Peter, one of Jesus' 12 original disciples, who's writing this, and he writes, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory that will be revealed. He's using this specific term, elders, which is the most common word the Bible uses to refer to people who lead churches. I nearly said leave churches there, and that would, have been, that would have been a hideous Freudian slip of some sort. The New Testament uses the word elders to refer to the people who lead churches, and it's a kind of a throwback to the Old Testament times when God's people was largely concentrated in the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, and they had this concept of tribal elders. It's a concept that you find... Uh, it's very unfamiliar to us, but in many places around the world, places in Africa and in the East, you will find that there is this concept of village elders, local elders, elders of tribes, and they tend to be the older men who have got status and respect in the community and who have this position where they're able to kind of, in a way, lead the community that they're part of. If you go to places like Afghanistan and parts of Pakistan, the idea of a tribal elder and a group of elders meeting will be very, very, very common to them. But it's very distant to us. And what the New Testament does is takes this Old Testament concept of the tribal elders, the kind of wise old guys of the family, of the village, of the tribe. And it uses that word to talk about the leaders of New Testament churches. I think the first thing that we've got to see about it is it's obviously a family term. So when we talk about elders in the church, we're very much talking in terms of family terms. We're talking in terms of relationship, in terms of belonging to a community. This isn't an arbitrary kind of imposed thing, but we're talking about family. And we're also talking about maturity, The very word elder means an old person. And in these tribal elderships that you'd find all around the world and back through history, it would often be the very oldest people in the community who would serve and be recognized as elders in that way. The New Testament doesn't transport that bit directly over into our understanding of church leaders and say, let's find the oldest guys and put them in charge. Rather, what it's speaking about is there's got to be a level of maturity in the Christian faith for someone to serve as an elder. And you'll notice that at least one of the guys we're recognizing at eldership today is not 
that old compared to some of you. But actually, the focus is on, have you got a maturity in Christ that allows you to serve in this way? And it's worth taking just one moment to clarify the point. Being old is not the same as being mature. And having been a Christian a long time is not the same as being mature. So we don't necessarily... I know people that have been... I don't know. I know people that have been Christians probably longer than I've been born alive. And you wouldn't necessarily say they're fabulously mature. Sometimes you think, come on, let's step it up a bit. I know people that have been a Christian a lot less time than I have. That would say incredible, really mature people of God. But we're looking for this sense of respect of how these people conduct themselves in Christ. The New Testament criteria, if you like, for who can be an elder, I would summarize as godly men who are gifted to lead. That's who we're looking for. We're looking for godly men that God has gifted to lead the church. And I'm very, very pleased to say, obviously, that Jeff and Al, the guys that we're looking to recognize in elders today, have a great track record in this. And for a number of years, we've kind of got to know them. And you guys have got to know them. And we're very, very confident these are mature guys who are part of our church family. The other two words that the New Testament uses to refer to church leaders are shepherds and overseers, and we're going to talk about those uh, in a couple of moments as we move on. But I want us to be clear that these are all different terms for the same people, for people doing the same job. They just emphasize different aspects of the role. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who's part of the family, the church family, but who's got a level of maturity in Christ, and God seems to be putting them uh, into the role to serve us as leaders. But why do we need them? Why do we need this kind of elder statesman of the family, if you will? The first reason we need elders is because the church needs care. Verse 2, speaking to the elders, says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. The church needs care. There's this whole sheep-shepherd metaphor going on, which often is used in the Bible, talking about the church as the flock. It's like God's flock of sheep, and therefore it's precious to God. The church is precious to God. Every individual person who's part of the church is precious to God. Even though the sheep metaphor is not desperately flattering, isn't it? I don't, I don't know that anybody would say, how would you describe yourself? What kind of animal? Some of you go, I'm a bulldog, that's me. And some people might say, I'm a racehorse, I'm sleek, I'm a wise old owl. Not many people would probably say, oh, I'm a sheep. <laughs> sheep, I mean, they're not the brightest animals, are they? I know I have a pop at some of the animal kind of species from time to time. But just look at them, look at them. They're one of those class of animals whose eyes look sideways rather than forward. And so whatever they're doing, whatever they're thinking, they look stupid, don't they? They just sort of, they just sort of stare sideways at me. My daughter's rabbit does that. She's got eyes on the side of her head. I was berating her the other day. She was trying to dig a tunnel in my lawn. And I was telling her off, and the, the rabbit, not the daughter. And I was speaking, <laughs> just to clarify. And I was speaking to her, what do you think you're doing? You're a bad rabbit, bad rabbit. And the eyes are just staring sideways. You think, you don't have a clue, do you? You're not listening to a word I'm saying. So the idea of being referred to as a sheep is not a very charming metaphor. But you've got to remember that actually in the culture that we're talking about, these sheep were not these stupid woolly sheep out in the fields. This was the source of income for a shepherd and someone who owned them. They were valuable. They were precious. Jesus tells a parable of a a, a shepherd who loses just one sheep and goes to great lengths to find it. 
actually the sense that we are, as the church, if we're believers and part of a local church, part of God's flock, means that we're precious to him. Jesus died for the church. Jesus gave his life up for the sheep to reconnect us to God. He cares about us. And he doesn't want to leave his flock neglected or vulnerable, which is why elders are also referred to as shepherds. Several times in the Bible. Uh, they're also referred to as pastors. Pastor is just, it just comes to English from the Latin word for shepherds. If someone says, I'm a, I'm a pastor, they're a pastor. It's just a kind, of a, a kind of public school way of saying shepherd, really. A pastor is just a shepherd. Because God loves the flock, he doesn't want to leave them vulnerable. He appoints shepherds to look after them. And these elders serve as shepherds. God wants healthy sheep. And it doesn't work just to say, well, I'm a sheep and I'm going to take care of myself. God appoints elders to look after the flock. We need elders to help us become healthy sheep, healthy Christians. It seems to me that healthy Christianity is all about people meeting God. It's all about people learning to live well, God's way, and about people making a difference. And the way that God has arranged things for us to be effective and healthy sheep and to do these things is to be part of a church with shepherds over us, looking after us, caring for us, helping us to be healthy sheep. Shepherds are so important to our spiritual health that Ephesians chapter 4, when speaking about various leaders, including pastors, the public school shepherds and teachers, says that they're gifts from the resurrected and ascended Christ. So, when we welcome and accept Jeff and Al today to be shepherds, to be elders amongst us, we're not just saying, well, that was a nice bit of chance that those fellas rolled up. We're recognizing these guys are gifts to us as a local church from Jesus himself. They're so helpful to have around. They make such a difference to have around. Jesus himself gives them to us. And actually the passage goes on to say in Ephesians that one of the reasons God gives us these leaders is to help us mature as Christians, to help us grow into strong, mature, healthy Christians as well. I think elders care for the flock maybe in three primary ways. One of them is teaching. We teach people the Bible. We need to know what God says. We need to understand the word of God. You can't live a healthy, God-centered Christian life without really grasping what the Bible has to say and how to apply it to your life and your situation. And one of the things that elders do is teach. Teach the sheep. Teach the flock. And we need elders to teach us how to live in such a way that it genuinely pleases God and makes sense of life through the Bible. Elders and shepherds also care for us during hard times. The Christian life is not a magic bullet that gets you away from difficulties. Living as a Christian, you go through loads of the same stuff that everyone else goes through, plus you go through another whole lot of difficulties because you're a Christian. And because God loves us and wants the flock, the sheep, to be cared for, he gives us shepherds who care for us through hard times. We need shepherds to comfort us, to encourage us, to console us, to mourn with us and grieve with us. We need shepherds to give us godly, wise advice when we don't know what to do. We need shepherds to counsel us. We need shepherds to pray with us. God loves his flock. It's so precious to him. He gives us shepherds to care for us. And the third way that elders and shepherds care for the flock is by discipline. Sometimes shepherds have to discipline wayward sheep who decide they're going to do their own thing regardless of the needs of the flock or the will of the shepherd. And sometimes elders have to inflict a little bit of correction. 
Sometimes elders have to be shepherds and keep wolves away, people who are not coming for the good of the flock but are looking to kind of benefit from them and feed off the flock. There's a range of roles, but it all expresses this care that elders have for God's flock, and we want to look after them. As well as care, the church also needs direction, and we're going to change the metaphor now in talking about these church leaders the, first, the second half of verse 2 says this, talking about the elders who have been asked to be shepherds. It says, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. The word translated here, overseer, the Bible, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, the kind of common world language of the day. And the word that's translated here, overseers, is a business term primarily. It's, a, it's the kind of uh, the, the, the ancient world's equivalent of what we would call a manager or a director. It's, it's a word taken out of that kind of business context. And what it's telling us is that actually elders, as well as being shepherds, need to be managers, need to be directors of the church. Part of the role of an elder is to make sure that the church runs well and to make sure that the things that need to be done are done, rather than a kind of an anarchic chaos where everything happens, or some massive kind of collectivization scheme where everybody sits down to work out how we should set the chairs out or what songs we should sing, and no one gets anything done because committees are famous for being inefficient. But we need people to manage the church, to govern the church, to ensure that the church is doing what the church is supposed to do. And I guess the primary thing is to make disciples. Seeing people who are not Christians come to meet Jesus for the first time and live for him and training and helping people who are Christians live well for Jesus. It's why Romans chapter 12, speaking about some of the gifts available to people, talks about those who are gifted as leaders govern well. There is a sense in which we don't just need shepherds, we need directors. The church needs direction. We need to make sure, are we doing what we need to do? And as the church grows, actually the need for that kind of oversight and management and direction becomes greater. The bigger a church gets, the more it needs things to be organized and administrated and worked out and prepared and coordinated and communicated. That The bigger a church goes, the more you need to keep the focus on. Are we making disciples? Are we on mission? Are we seeking to find the lost sheep, the ones that either deliberately or unthinkingly have wandered away from the flock, or the sheep who never knew there was a shepherd out there in the first place? The people who think life is just, I just kind of exist, and I find my own way. And one time Jesus comes across a crowd of people, and it says he's moved in his heart to them, because he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And many, many people in our culture live as sheep without a shepherd. No one to care for them, no one to guide them. They want to love them. And Jesus is there to be everything for them. And as a church, we've got to stay on mission. So one of the things that elders do in their overseeing role is make sure the church keeps staying on track, on mission. Because it's easy just to become kind of internally focused or, or think about the things we do together or, or, or reaching people who don't know Jesus becomes kind of secondary in terms of what we do. We just settle for it. Sometimes it's hard or we get discouraged. And one of the roles of elders is let's keep on mission, people. Let's keep reaching people for Jesus. And we've also got to make sure that the church stays focused in terms of growing Christians. It's not about can we get someone to put their hand up in a meeting. Great, now you're a Christian. Let's move on to the next one. 
when you become a Christian, it's like becoming a, a little baby born again for the first time. And, and you need to learn how to live well for Jesus. And it takes time. It takes years. And even those of us who've been Christians a long time, we still need help growing and, and, and living well for God in the way he wants us to. Ephesians chapter 4 again, speaking about some of the work of uh, the God's leaders, says that one of the roles is to prepare God's people for works of service. The ESV, a different translation uh, of the New Testament, talks about this, uses this brilliant phrase, equipping the saints for the works of ministry. The role of an elder, particularly in this function of an overseer, is not to do everything. The aim is that the church is equipped to do everything. So the role of an elder is not to do all the pastoral work, but to equip God's people to do the pastoral work. The role of an elder is not to do all the mission work, all the evangelism, but to equip God's people to do the, the mission and the evangelism. Elders don't do all the comforting or encouraging or the hospitality or the caring or the counseling or the praying or the advising. But the aim of elders is to equip the church to do these things. And actually, this role of overseeing is so helpful to the church. We need it so much that Acts chapter 20 talks about the Holy Spirit himself appointing overseers over the church. And as we come and recognize Jeff and Al as elders today, we've got to do so with an awareness that it's not just Chris and Rich have recognized these guys and decided to put them up for the job. It's not even King's Church have recognized it with help from other people. It's saying God himself has brought these guys to this point. And we're recognizing what God has done rather than perhaps even doing anything ourselves. So the church needs direction. Number three, the church also needs examples. If if we go on a little bit to verse three, it says, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, we don't just need elders to care for us. We don't just need elders to kind of direct us and manage us. We also need elders to be examples for us. You can push the business analogy of overseeing too far sometimes. Elders are not bosses. We don't think of ourselves as the bosses of the church. Actually, we think ourselves as servants of the church. It said in the verse that we just read before, verse 2, eager to serve. In this verse 3, it talks about elders not lording it over the church. The New Testament emphasis on authority is never really I get to call the shots. It's more I take responsibility for doing what needs to be done. And in this respect, we need examples. We need to see what does a godly life look like in this culture. What does it mean to follow Jesus in the 21st century Western world? I personally, when I was a relatively new Christian, I was a teenager, I went through this kind of stupid phase of I'd read the Bible and I would really struggle to understand what it meant and also how to do it in, in our culture. And I remember reading a bit where Jesus talks about, you know, share the gospel, go into a village, find someone's house, stay there, preach at them in the village square, and then if they don't accept it, you shake your, shake your robes out and off you go. And I remember genuinely thinking, oh, I wish I lived in the first century. Not because I like kind of dusty roads and long robes and beards and things, but because I just thought, then it would just, I could just do exactly what it says. I don't have to do this cultural translation of going on. You know, that's how Jesus told them to evangelize, but how do we do it in this context? 
and loads of things from the New Testament, the principle we take, but the actual practice of it doesn't transport easily into our culture. And I remember when going through this whole phase of thinking, I wish it was easier than this. I wish I knew what that looked like here. And the New Testament tells us that one of the roles of elders is to be examples. We need people that we can look to and say, what does it look like to have a God-centered life in this culture? We need people we can look to to say, what does it mean to have a good marriage? We need people that we can look to to say, how do you run family life with Jesus at the center? We need people that we can look at and say, how do I do work and balance church and all the other commitments in this life. It's why, it's why I'm so thrilled on our you know, eldership team. We're going to have two guys in secular work with busy, responsible jobs. As great examples of actually this is how you take responsibility at work and also have time for church and family. We need people that we can look to to say, how do I manage my money in this culture? How do I handle my friendships in this culture? How do I deal with disappointment or suffering or frustration? How do I pray? How do I serve? How do I worship? How do I share the gospel? And one of the key roles of elders is that people can, can look to them and think, it's not perfect, but I kind of see what it looks like here and now, rather than having sometimes to translate something from a very different culture to today. Elders become people that you can look to and we can emulate. That's why they've got to be godly, not just gifted or talented. It's why the the Bible talks a lot about the character qualifications for elders rather than the skills necessary. Because they've got to be people that we can look to and say, you live a good Christian life. I want to live like this. And again, at the risk of stating the very obvious, I want to commend Jeff and Al to you as outstanding men of God. You know them. You've seen their lives. They're not flawless. They're not perfect. But they're good men of God who live a God-centered life, who love Jesus, who follow the Bible, who's looking to do good and spread the kingdom of God in the world. And you can honestly do a lot worse and look at how those guys handle their marriages and their families, those that have families and their work and their finances and their relationships and their friendships. If you want to challenge yourself as a Christian, you can look at them and think, how do they do it? And emulate them. Not in a slavish, funny way. You don't have to grow a beard or, I don't know, turn up bang on time for everything. Or Actually, that would be a good idea if you could turn up bang on time for everything. <laughs> that would save us an awful lot of bother if you can do that. But please don't, don't take the emulation to extremes. Don't start getting nerdy about coffee or buying special machines that do that or, or any of those things. Or or just kind of shaving once in a while whenever you feel like it. (laughs) Or dressing a bit scruffy. I don't know. You just. But you can look at elders, and we need elders to be examples of what does a Christian life look like. But I do want to make this last kind of transition clear. Even though we look at people like Al and Jeff and we say, those are great guys, I want to be like them in some ways. Good elders always point people to Jesus. And the last thing is the church needs Jesus. We need Jesus. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Jesus is the chief shepherd. They're his flock. Elders, we're really happy to serve, but we serve knowing that we look after Jesus' flock. They belong to him. He's the chief shepherd. He's the real shepherd. He's He's the real deal. Elders... 
we are shepherds, but elders are kind of like, you know, monitors at school. You know, the, you have like, when I was at school, they would like the register monitor. So it's, it's just a kid, but you have a bit of responsibility. And you get to take the register back to the, the office. Or we had, when I was a kid, we had milk monitors. Does anyone remember drinking warm milk through little straws at school? Yeah. Puts you off for life, doesn't it? I swear sometimes it's like, this is virtually cheese. This is, which would, which would be good because I like cheese. But, but elders are kind of just like, we're like church monitors. We're like sheep kind of standing up, having a go, holding the shepherd's crook and the the beard. And we're, we're, we're just, it's by its family. Elders are part of the family. Elders, elders are sheep that are serving the, the chief shepherd. So we deputize for Jesus, we represent Jesus, we serve Jesus, we acknowledge that it's Jesus' flock, but we're pale reflections of Jesus, we're pale imitations, even great guys like these, when you look to them, it's just, you can just see a little bit of Jesus in them, but it's Jesus that we look to, and our role as elders is to appoint us always to Jesus. John, John's Gospel, John chapter 10, Jesus says twice, I am the good shepherd, he's the real deal. I am the good shepherd. He's not just saying, this is my flock, although he is saying that. He's not just saying, I'm going to care for you like a shepherd, although he is saying that. He's also doing something extraordinary. He's, saying, he's not saying, I'm like a good shepherd, or I am a good shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. And what he's doing is he's pointing subtly back to various allusions in the Old Testament, including the classic Psalm 23 that says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. The Lord, the kind of slightly ineffective English translation of the original language that says Yahweh, the eternal name of God representing who he is. The psalmist says Yahweh, the God of the heavens and the earth, the God who made everything, the only true God, the God who exists, even if nobody believes in him. He's not dependent on us in any way. Yahweh is my shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's identifying himself with Yahweh, the God in the Old Testament. And it goes even further than that because he's not even saying, you know that God you read about, this is me, I've come to be with you. In Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd becomes a sheep. He didn't stay a shepherd. He became a sheep. Jesus, the son of God, came to earth to be one of us to become fully human, just like you and me, and to live amongst us. Jesus lived a sheep's life, just being part of the flock. And then as the culmination of his work on earth, he died as a sacrificial lamb. Peter, in this same letter that we're looking from, chapter 1, verse 19, talks about Jesus and says, you will redeem people with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus, the shepherd, became a sheep. John the Baptist, seeing Jesus, cries out, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came down to be a sheep and not just a sheep. Jesus came to suffer the fate of every lost sheep. Jesus came to suffer the fate of sheep that wander away from the flock. Jesus came to suffer a brutal and bloody death as a sheep so that you and I can reconnect with God. And one of the roles of elders is to point people to the chief shepherd who died a sheep's death. Jesus' death on the cross was in our place, taking the punishment and the guilt that we had deserved, dealing with our sin, the huge gulf that we had opened up between ourselves and God. Jesus' death on the cross brutally slaughtered instead of us 
was to reconnect us to God, to allow us to come to know the God who loves us, who wants to shepherd us, who wants to care for us, wants to know us. And we point people to Jesus. And if you're a Christian here, I just, I just want you to capture again the glory of a God who comes down as a sheep, as one of us, and suffers and dies. And if you're not a Christian here, you're looking in and you're investigating Christianity or you're just thinking about it, I want you to know he died for you. He was killed for you to bring you personally to God. And he's looking and he's waiting for a response. He's inviting you to accept his sacrifice for you and to give him your life, to hand over the keys to every part of your life to Jesus. You can do it this morning. You can do it while I'm finishing speaking. You pray where you're sitting in your mind and your heart. You turn away from everything you've done wrong and you say, Jesus, I want to come to you. Please forgive me. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I want you to be my shepherd. I no longer want to be a lost sheep wandering around. That's the gospel. That's the message. So today, we're celebrating. Yes, we're celebrating new elders. We're celebrating God gifting us these incredible guys. And it's, it's a, for me, it's a wonderfully exciting day. And for the church here, it's incredible. But do you know, even in the midst of all that, what do we really celebrate? We celebrate Jesus. We love Jesus. We love what he's done for us. We love who he is. We love his humiliation in coming to be one of us and in dying in our place. We celebrate Jesus, the ultimate elder. Jesus is the ultimate church leader. Peter, in chapter 2 of this same letter, speaking of Jesus, says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus is the ultimate church leader. And in his grace and mercy, he allows a few sheep to help him out and serve in that capacity also. I'd just like to pray if that's okay, and then we're going to move on. God, I thank you so much. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you that you love us and care for us. When we were sheep running away from you, ignoring the call of the shepherd, I thank you that you came to us and rescued us and changed us. We thank you for Jesus. The Son of God made human, that we can be reunited with God. And I pray, God, if nothing else we take away from us today, we take away, we just love Jesus and worship him. Amen. Amen. We are going to recognize Al and Jeff, we're going to recognize the Holy Spirit appointing these guys as elders. We're going to recognize that the Holy Spirit has appointed them, brought them to this place. We're going to recognize that they're gifts from the risen Jesus to this church. I'd like to say a couple of things about the way we're going to do this and and how that we do it. Alan, Jeff, obviously, those of you who are part of the church will know they've had different routes into this position. Jeff gave his life to Christ on an Alpha course here a few years ago, and we've kind of watched him grow up from a new Christian into a great man of God. Al has served as an elder in other capacities, and by the grace of God, 
God's brought him to be part of us and part of the team here. And so they've got different roots. But I am so thrilled that God has brought these guys to us to serve with us. I'm, I speak for myself and Chris. We're just, we're just made up at what God has done here. I, just, I look at the team and the qualities these guys bring in terms of their character and their gifting and their personalities and their heart for the church and their heart for people who don't know Jesus. And I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank God for you guys. I think it's outstanding. And this is not a quick thing. If you're part of the church, you'll know we've been, we've been working on this for years. Al and Jeff have been serving very directly, at least for the last year, uh, with Chris and I in the role as elders. We're recognizing not we hope these guys will be elders, but these guys are elders amongst us. They've been doing it. And we've been, there's this process going on for years before that as well. What we're going to do now is we're going to, in a moment, some of us who are elders, shepherds, overseers of churches are going to pray for them. We're going to lay hands on them as the Bible teaches us to do and recognize them. We're going to set them apart for the work that God has given them to do.